Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to Simply Remarkable, created by Remarkable, a Speakers Bureau. And I'm Sue Falcone, your host today, founder and CEO of Remarkable. Now, why did we create this show? We wanted you to know our remarkable talent that we represent here at Remarkable as we do personally. We love to hear more about them. And today we're certainly going to hear a great, great speaker for you. Now, also, we want to make sure. Yes, we book a lot and you never know. You might find that special person that you're looking for for your next event or for an event that you know is coming up. Now, you'll also see how remarkable our talent is and how you can be too. Now, they can help you and your organization be that. Now, thanks for joining us. Our live chat is open. Please comment. Tell us where you're coming from. We'd love to know. And we welcome your comments and your questions because we will handle them today. Now, my guest today, I'm excited, is the remarkable Mike Pierce, who's also known as, as an Arctic Mike. Now, you're going to hear a lot about that. Now, he works with organizations that want to find, engage, and keep the best performing people. Don't we all want that? Isn't that great? And in January of 2006, he did a life-changing thing. He became one of nine people to run a marathon on the Antarctic continent. Then he went back 11 months later and is the first became the first American to complete the Antarctic Ultra Marathon, which is 62 <laughs> miles. Now you're going to hear a lot about that. And because he brings very high energy to his audience experiences, he knows how to tell stories. I can't wait for you to hear him that will engage people in a way that they will never forget and never forget the points of them as well. He raises issues with people that live and work the same thing every day. And he asks those questions that makes us want to think. Isn't that good for us? I think so. <laughs> His experiences are both entertaining and informative and are ones that people will remember and benefit for a long time. He speaks across the United States and Canada, the colder, the better, to executive teams, organizations, associations, and sales teams about how to lead people so they are fully engaged in what they do. He's a best-selling author of three books, and I am excited to welcome Antarctic Mike to our show today. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to share the stories with your audiences. This is great. And where are you coming from today? I'm coming to you from my home in San Diego, California. Now, he doesn't live in cold country, but we're going to hear a lot about <laughs> cold country. I can tell you that. <laughs> and to start off with, Mike, Tell me, what did you do before becoming an Arctic Mike? Before I got into the speaking business around 2009, I was basically a corporate hijacker. I was a headhunter. So my job 
was to steal somebody out of this company and put them into that one. I mean, that's what headhunters do, right? We steal people out of one company and put them into another. I did that for almost 20 years. Wow. That's it was fun. It was really fun. I really enjoyed it. That, it's kind of a thrill to go after people and meet them and ask questions. I mean, it's just, it's no different than being a speaker in the sense of it's all about networking and making sure you meet the right people. And this person leads you to this person, this person, this person. That's how, that's how the recruiting business works. That's how this, that's how most any business works. So you were doing this now tell us why did you choose to go to Antarctica to compete? Now, <laughs> well, let me ask you this one more question too, uh, cause a history lesson out here, because I saw it's a continent of Antarctica, but it's also Antarctic is within that. So, so they're interchangeable, right? Well, Antarctica is one of seven continents and, um, it lies below what's called the convergence of the Antarctic circle, which is 66 and a half degrees South. So yeah, it's, it's a long, long way from anywhere. I mean, it really takes forever to get there, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So how'd you choose to go to go and compete there? Here's what happened. I was on a business trip, a recruiting trip in Bakersfield, California. This was in August of 2001. So in August of 2001, while I was in Bakersfield, I walked into a bookstore. Okay. Some of you remember the days when they used to make this thing called bookstores, right? So I walked into the bookstore. I saw this photograph on the cover of a business book titled Shackleton's Way. And I had no idea what the story was about. And so I picked up the book and I just started flipping through it. I spent 10 minutes at best, 10 minutes in that book. And within that 10 minute period, I started to understand the metaphorical connections to the real world. For example, during that first 10 minutes, when I was in the aisle of the bookstore on that random day in August of 2001, I learned very quickly that 28 people got stranded in the middle of nowhere in Antarctica. And this trip was a trip where they were intending to go across the entire continent on foot, 1,800 miles something nobody had ever done before. And I thought to myself, you know, the value of doing things you've never done before is extraordinary for all of us in our everyday lives. Think about, th think about it this way. If any of us wants to get a result we've never gotten, we want to change a habit that we've never changed. We want to start something we've never started or end something that we've never ended. We too, are going to have to do something we've never done before. And so instantly I saw these, this metaphorical connection to the real world. And I said, this book has to have a, a laundry list of lessons for second graders, soccer moms, business people. So I bought the book and that was the start of the fascination slash obsession with Antarctica. Wow. How exciting. You were in warm country and bought a cold country book. Okay. <laughs> how, how ironic, right? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Now, when you decided to take this adventure, uh -huh. did you hope to learn and have the experiences? What are some of the experiences you learned from competing 
in the first marathon with others and then becoming the first American to to do the big one, the long one. What experiences did that bring you? Well, the first of all, the big learning lessons that you take away today were learned before I actually showed up in Antarctica. Because the irony of the story is I live in San Diego, California. Now, all of your audiences know San Diego does not exactly get cold. And for those of you who are geographically challenged, San Diego is not located in the country of Canada. It's located in the southern part of California, right? So it never gets below, what, 50 degrees. And there's no chance my wife, Angela, is going to relocate to International Falls, Minnesota, Saskatchewan, Canada, where I'm going in about two weeks, uh, or Oymyakon, Siberia, the coldest inhabited town on earth. Last January, the actual real temperature on the thermometer, minus 62 degrees. Now, hold on. Centigrade. So let me help those of you from the United States. Minus 89 degrees Fahrenheit. Actual real temperature. Angela is not going close to that place. So the fact that I had to find a commercial cold storage freezer to train in was really, I think, some of the biggest lessons learned because the freezer was only 59 feet from one side to the other, back and forth and back and forth. And that back and forth for hours and hours and hours built the most important muscle in the human body. It's called the muscle of confidence and the muscle of discipline. I built that muscle to be as strong as steel. And I know it worked because when I got to Antarctica, it took me seven hours and 15 minutes to run the marathon. The 100K that I did a year later, which is 62 miles, took me 17 and a half hours. But here's the funny thing. The seven hours in the marathon seemed more like seven minutes. The 17 and a half hours in the 100K seemed more like 17 minutes, not 17 hours. And my instinctive thought was, is that all there is? In other words, I trained my mind to be so disciplined to not stop that when I actually finished the events, they didn't seem that long. And I learned something, I learned something very interesting. And where I got this from was an old hockey coach in 1976. Okay, I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And one night as an 11-year-old kid, he pulled me aside and he said, Mike, you will play the game the way you practice if, if you make the practice harder the game goes easier. And he skated away. That was a 15-second encounter at best. Little did I know at the time, 15 of the most important seconds of my entire life showed up at age 11 on a random Thursday night hockey practice because what he taught me was the value of difficulty, right? To see difficulty differently, right? Most people see difficulty as an enemy. My coach taught me to see difficulty as an ally, something to actually look forward to, not something to regret, something to move toward, not run away from. And it just, it was a paradigm shift that went on at age 11. And I didn't realize it at the time that that was a seed that was planted that would really come back to serve me for all the years of the rest of my life. Wow. Pretty impactful here. 
Now, after you had these experiences in Antarctic, Antarctica, what made you then turn from what you had been doing and getting to the speaking industry? How did that happen? Well, the desire to be a speaker actually started before Antarctica. I knew I wanted to be a professional speaker on Friday night, December 16th, 1983. I was a freshman in college at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And myself and two of my friends attended a Christian seminar in the town of Estes Park, which is up near Rocky Mountain National Park. And I remember being in the auditorium. There are a thousand college students. So picture a thousand college kids in an auditorium. I'm sitting in the front row. The very first speaker of the evening was a guy named Tom Brown. I can still see Tom taking the stage today, all these years later. He had on a dark pinstripe gray suit, a fire engine red tie, and a black leather Bible that had obviously been put to good use. Tom took the stage and this guy could tell stories like nobody you've ever heard in your life. This guy had a thousand college students attention kept, which I mean, try keeping the attention of a thousand college students, right? This guy could keep the attention of any audience. And I remember thinking, that's me. That's exactly what I'm going to do that night. In that moment, it was about 10 minutes after eight mountain time. And that night when all the kids, you know, left the auditorium, they all went to sleep in the dorms because it was a weekend long seminar. So they all went to sleep because they had to get up early the next morning and, and go to the seminar. I went back into the auditorium at 12 o'clock midnight. I found an open door in the back of the auditorium and I went in and I stood up on the stage where Tom had stood four hours prior. And I stood behind the podium and I looked out across the silhouette images of a thousand empty chairs. The only light in the room was the faint green light emitted from the emergency exit signs above the door. And I looked at a thousand empty chairs and I said, someday, this is where I'm going to be. And that was the start of the desire to actually do what I do today. Now, of course, it took me all these years later to actually get there. It's one thing to want it. It's another to actually put it into play and actually do it. So I knew I wanted to be a speaker long before I went to Antarctica. Wow. Well, when you're talking about practicing and discipline, that's exactly the life of a speaker, <laughs> you know, because it does take a lot to be able to be what they're expecting you to deliver and what they're expecting to receive from you. Now, I know you can share this and I know you can bring this because I see all the comments that people make about you and say, oh, yeah, and I see the traveling schedule you have that probably some would say, I'm not that kind of speaker. I'm not going to do that. And I'm certainly not going to any cold country in the wintertime. So event planners, if you're out there, this is the person for you. He will come to your cold country in the winter to be a speaker. But Oh, yeah. If your conferences are in Minnesota, North Dakota, Canada, Montreal in January, <laughs> I'm the guy. <laughs> That's so cool. That's good to know. Is that not good to know? But what are two of the biggest takeaways that people... What you're saying 
You know, they can be CEOs, they can be everyday workers, they can be leaders, they can be anybody that's in your audience. What are the two biggest takeaways that people receive from you? Let's start with this photo. Okay, the setting in this picture is that this ship that they had sailed down from England in got stuck in the ice where it sits here. And one of the things that Shackleton, the leader of this expedition, taught them was to let this ship go and focus on this, the game. In other words, this ship, as good as they are, as hard as they try, it's not moving. Okay, so this ship, metaphorically speaking, represents everything in your life you can't control. Um, what happened yesterday, other people's decisions, right? All kinds of everyday events we have no control over. Instead, Shackleton said, forget what you can't control, focus on what you can. You see, this game represents your response to the circumstance of which you have 100% control. I can go left, I can go right, I can go up, down, forward, backward. I can say yes, I can say no. We all have choices every day in how we respond to the events we have no control over. And I think one of the most important things, and you can see the image is behind me, printed on my wall on a two foot by three foot canvas. Because this whole concept of letting go, think about this. How many things do all of us have to let go of every single day? Bad attitudes, regrets, jealousy, anger, worry. For business people, I will tell you the biggest, the biggest ailment, let's call it, that attacks business owners, company presidents, and executives is control. Control over decisions. They have a very hard time letting go of control and letting the employees actually make the decisions. This is very much a common ailment in the business world. And I can't tell you how many times every speaking engagement I go to, I now have a way to electronically distribute the PDF copy of this picture so people can then blow it up either into an eight by 10 or a two foot by three foot canvas. Because more people say, you know what, Mike, that whole idea, I have so many things I have to let go of. When there's a visual reminder in front of you like this or like that, it triggers that thought. I mean, every time you see this picture for the rest of your life, the question is going to ring in your mind. What is it today that I have to let go of? So that's, that's number one. Okay, that's the first part of the answer to your question. The second biggest takeaway, my buddy Pace, okay? I literally took a, a penguin, a stuffed animal penguin like this with me, and I put him inside the jacket just like this. And when it got really hard, because it's, it's not easy, you know, people ask me, well, was it hard running in Antarctica? Well, of course it is. It's a long way to go. It was windy. It was cold. The footing was like sand because Antarctica is so dry. All the moisture is extracted out of the ground, and you're basically left with ice crystals that are more like sand. So try running 26.2 miles in sand with a 60-mile-an-hour wind at 10 below zero, and you're wearing about 17 layers of clothing, right? It's not easy. However, when it got really hard, here's what my buddy Pace, the penguin, said to me. Mike, don't stop. Keep moving forward no matter what. You don't have to go fast. He said, keeping momentum you have is easier than generating momentum you don't have. Don't stop. 
You don't have to go fast. In fact, go slower. You see, endurance is not about power and speed. It's about consistent rhythmic effort of not taking big steps. Just take penguin steps, little tiny steps of progress. Think about it this way, Sue. If I'm an investment advisor and I say to you, I have a great investment opportunity for you to make, make a good return. And you say, great, what do I have to do? And I say to you, you have to write a check today for $50,000. Okay, some people can do that. Not very many. But if I say to you, Sue, it's really simple. All you have to do is put away 10 or $20 a week, right? Most people can do that. I mean, think about it. 10 or $20 a week? Look, just don't go to Starbucks once during the week. Make your own coffee at home instead of buying it out and you're there, right? <laughs> 10 or 20, that 10 or $20 penguin step is the key. And any investment advisor will tell you this because it's the consistency over time with compounding interest and time that yields the big result in the end. Because little by little, a little becomes a lot. So when I'm talking to, to, to CEOs and business people, the challenge is how hard you push your people. You have to push people. Yes, we have to push them hard enough that they can get the job done in a certain amount of time. Look, we all understand that time is part of the equation. So speed is a factor in the equation. So we have to push them hard enough and fast enough to get the job done within a certain time frame. But we have to be careful that we don't push them too hard that they blow up or run out of gas, right? Think about it this way. Take the Indy 500, the car race. Okay, most people are familiar with this. Most people don't realize this. With one turn of the wrench, all those cars can go 50 miles an hour faster. That's not a problem. But here's the problem. Let's say all of us in the audience are driving in the race. And Sue, your car is going 50 miles an hour faster than all of ours, okay? Now, so by the time we get to mile 495, you are so far ahead of everybody else, we've declared you the winner. Now, what happens at mile 497? You run out of gas. You know why? Because all of us, this is what a lot of fans don't know, every car in the Indy 500 is rationed in fuel. Every car gets 125 gallons for the entire race. And when it's gone, it's gone. There's no bartering or buying anymore. You use 125 gallons, you're finished. So the question becomes, how far do I turn the wrench? Right, I have to turn the wrench far enough to give my driver a legitimate chance to win, but not so far that they can't finish the race and they run out of gas at mile 497 or 498. So if we metaphorically connect this to the world of the everyday working person, the question is, how far do we turn the wrench with our people? Well, yes, we have to turn it far enough to give our people a chance to legitimately do a good job within the allotted time. But again, we have to be careful because we can't turn it too far to the point where they blow up or they can't finish. Because as I tell my athlete friends, you'll never win a race. You can't finish. Some of my friends still haven't learned that after all these years. The key is just taking small penguin steps. The value of penguin steps is enormous. This is written, Angela wrote this on a card many years ago. Look what this says. Slow down, you'll get more done. That's penguin steps, right? Slow down, you'll actually give yourself a better chance to win the race. I mean, it just, 
it's so obvious. Many, too many of us hurry. Yes, we want to be quick, but we don't want to hurry because when you hurry, that's when you lose your mind and you start making mistakes and people can get hurt and things can get damaged. So penguin steps and letting go are two of the most important lessons I learned in my entire Antarctic chapter of my life. Wow. And I was so excited when I first met you because when we were talking about, I said, Oh yes, I'm sure that we would love to represent you here at remarkable. And the next thing I knew, I had my own pace. You sent me I did. so that I could remember exactly your point and be able to share that with others. And yes, and I see this. And, you know, sometimes we have to have those reminders, don't we? We do. And when there's a visual reminder, it's amazing how much more likely we are to remember and use the point of the lesson, right? I see this and I think about slowing down. I see this and I think about letting go. You're right. The visual reminders can be very important to people. All right. And Lindy is on with us. And like she said, she's got see, it. It's, it's not complicated. Slow down it, and let it go. All not right. complicated. <laughs> wow. We're, we're ready. We're ready to do that. And you never know, audience, we might have some surprises coming up for you. And also, golly, we're talking about time. It flies like crazy, doesn't it, Mike? But I have a closing question for you. Okay. I always do. Mike, what are you going to do today to be remarkable? Well, I am working on several stories for several companies. And right now, because um, I think I'm pretty good at telling my story, but one of my real knacks that I discovered about three years ago was helping other people tell their story. So today, one of the things I'm doing is I'm working on a story for a nonprofit organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. It's called the 402. It's a great story about a very successful business guy who sold a company and started a nonprofit organization that has really changed the lives of thousands of people. And now his goal is to change the lives of hundreds of thousands and millions. And we're going to do this by taking this and creating a story that can get distributed worldwide. And so I am in the middle of figuring out how to angle and write that story. Multi-talented, aren't you? Yes, but you can help us in so many different ways. That's great. Oh, wow. That's a great remarkable. And I challenge our audience right here today. What is it you are going to do to be remarkable today? What is it? We'd love to hear it on the chat line or give us a comment about it. We want to know what you are out there doing. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference because taking this information today, we can apply it. And also we've got all the information right here. You want to have Mike at your next event? We show you there how you can have Mike at, at your next event. And we hope that you will join us next week, Friday, but February the 10th, 
when we will have the remarkable Dr. Gretchen Moran Marsh. She's an international high energy mental health keynote speaker. She's a clinical psychologist, but she's on a passionate mission to destigmatize mental health in our businesses, in our lives. You won't want to miss this lady. You will not. And be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel where all these episodes that we've done, this is now, we've done quite a few. They're all located there. And you can go there and go back just in case you might have forgotten anything Mike told us today. It's there waiting for you right there. And you can see all the previous episodes. Now, Mike, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. Is well, there one closing thought that you would like to leave us with? I guess as a as a closing thought, um, you know, life can be difficult. There are obstacles and challenges and changes that show up in our path every single day in various sizes, shapes, and colors, right? The challenge is we have to keep moving forward no matter what, right? Because responsibility never sleeps, right? Responsibility doesn't stop because of our hardship and our circumstances that are not easy. So the question becomes, how can we keep moving forward despite all of those difficulties? Well, I really believe the lessons from people like Ernest Shackleton and the Penguins give us the answers to that question. We will certainly remember that for a <laughs> lifetime. Thank you again, Mike, and we will see you all next Friday. Have a remarkable week.